This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey! How's it going? It's going good. How are you? Pretty good. I um, have finally recovered from everything that happened before spring break. Right! (laughs) Only took me a week to get there, but I'm here. I mean, so now you're nice and refreshed, getting ready to finish spring break. Yay! Yep. Tomorrow we go back to school. It's two weeks till state testing starts. No pressure. None at all. Everything is going to be just fine. I figure at this point, what happens, happens. Yeah, I'm coming up on a busy week myself. I've got two big meetings this week, and then I have... Um, just a bunch of other stuff to do, like for sorority stuff and just 80 zillion things going on. Right. Yeah. Um, so your hairdresser is amazing, and I really love that color. Thank you. Rose is the best, and I love her dearly. If you're in San Antonio, DM me. I'll give you her information. She's awesome. Very bold of you to tell people who your hairdresser is. I mean, the more business I send her, I, I assume eventually she'll be like, you get your hair done for free now because you're a celebrity. Oh, right. <laughs> um, when you sit down, just tell her coupon code lifetime sentence <laughs> at checkout. For 0%. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, she's badass. Like, I love her. I've been going to her for almost 10 years. I have found the the girl who speaks to my hair like it is clay she is an artist and uh if she moves i have to move with her because i already lost my eyebrow guy and had to replace him and i like heather the girl who does my brows now but robert just got me (laughs) r.i.p anyways hey welcome to lifetime sentence i'm paul i'm erin and uh, we have a really fucked up story to tell you today. Dude, I thought this was going to be okay because nobody dies. <laughs> it is not okay. It is not okay. Oh my lord. Okay. I, I cried legitimate tears through this whole thing. I cried a couple times during the movie. Um, there, You know, anything with little kids just gets me and nothing bad happens to the kids i just want to say that on the outset i don't like we're not doing that but there's nothing um, that happens to kids or dogs in this story correct so it just there's i don't know they're like being emotional like when they involve the kids it's just so sad i'm like oh god i can't yeah but first of all i want to start us out on a light note please do (laughs) it's gonna get real dark real fast okay so you know um Maybe some of our newer listeners don't quite know yet, but I, I scroll through the Lifetime Network and the Lifetime Movie Network every week, and I record anything that's based on a true story. It's research. Like, it it's, it's work-related. I have 50 hours on my DVR, and it's like 40 hours full of Lifetime movies. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Okay. But I did find – I also find, you know, Lifetime's – Maybe misses. Maybe these are great movies. I don't know. But I'm going to read you a synopsis from a movie called Zombie at 17. Oh, I, I'm so excited right now. 
So Lifetime does a series and it's like of movies and it's called like kidnapped at 17, convicted at 17, murdered at 17, like all these things that happen to you when I guess you turn 17. I I guess I wasn't a normal 17. None of those things happened. I might have been zombie at 17. Let's be real. I didn't sleep a whole lot. So here's the synopsis from zombie at 17. I cannot wait. From the Lifetime Movie Network. It was released in 2018. 17-year-old Tia Scott realizes she's caught a virus that's slowly turning her into a zombie. Desperate to find a cure, she trusts Flynn. What kind of fucking name is Flynn, by the way? Like Flynn Rider. (laughs) He's uh, the heartthrob entangled. No. Um, (laughs) A self-proclaimed expert in all things paranormal. But Tia's life gets even worse when a friend of her boyfriend, Connor, is murdered. Dun, dun, dun. That's it. I, um, yeah, maybe check it out on the Lifetime Movie Network if you're so inclined. Inspired by true events. (laughs) (laughs) About a girl who got a mosquito bite and recovered just fine. (laughs) But she saw a news story about someone who died. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) All right. Let's dive into this movie. This week we watched We Have Your Husband, based on the true story of Eduardo and Jane Valseca. And I read their name as Valesca the whole time. Me too. I typed it 100,000 times in the last time. It's not. It's Valseca. It's Valseca. So, yeah. Um, Okay. It stars. Okay. I was very impressed with the lineup in this movie. These are all like legit actors. Really? Mm-hmm. So we have Terry Polo, who plays Jane Valseca. Again, I'm going to do it this whole time. I'm I so sorry. <laughs> At the top, we're warning you. We suck. Yeah, we do. Um, she was in, if you recognize her name, it's because she was in Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, and Little Fockers. She plays Pam. You've just listed three things I've never seen. You have a problem. ADHD, depression. I've got many problems. Do you want me to list them alphabetically or? Would you please just go download it? At least watch Meet the Parents. Oh, that's a classic. I cannot believe you've never seen that. I was watching a how to paint with gouache video today. Does that count? No. Fine. Fine. (laughs) It also stars Isai Morales. As Eduardo Valseca, um, you maybe have never seen La Bamba, but I have. Seen everyone else has. He he's in La Bamba. Okay. he's one of the one of the stars of La Bamba. Do you want me to sing it to you real quick? No, because in high school for the Cinco de Mayo celebration at school, my pop choir had to perform that for the entire school. And let me just build this picture for you of me in a sparkly red vest in the gym. Having to pop my hip while we sing Bada Bada La Bamba. <laughs> You're welcome. Next time we record, will you please wear a sparkly red vest? I'm already wearing one. No, you're not. <laughs> I can see you. Oh my God, if we ever do a live show, you have yes. to wear a sparkly red vest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come out popping my hip and singing La Bamba. Sing La Bamba. <laughs> 
Shout out to Julie, our choreographer. I hit her in the face while we were learning that dance. I didn't mean to. I'm just really uncoordinated. Who the fuck thought to put me in a red vest and make me dance? I'm like a grinder organ monkey. No. Oh, no. So along with La Bamba, um, I don't know if you've ever watched Criminal Minds. He had a a recurring role in Criminal Minds. He was the guy. um, He plays uh, SSA um, Matt... Gonzalez, Gomez, oh, somebody. Yeah, 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 he, yeah. he was kidnapped with JJ. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this poor guy gets tortured on the regular. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Oh, poor guy. Um, and then we have my favorite. Nicholas Gonzalez. He plays Raul, the Federale. He, um, he voices in Bojack Horseman and Family Guy. Okay. But he's also in the show The Good Doctor on ABC. Okay. Yeah. He plays the chief of medicine, the really hot guy. Oh, the hot one. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk a lot about how much I want to remove his clothes with my teeth. I will leave that to you. But yes, I co-sign. Oh my God, he is gorgeous. Oh, my God. Okay. And then we have Olivia Diabo, who for some reason gets a top billing in this movie, even though she appears for like 45 seconds. Is she like a famous actress? Kind of. Okay. She played Karen in the wonder years, who was Kevin's older sister. Yeah. Yeah. But she also, the only reason I mention her is because she brings us my new favorite segment, Pornhub or TV. Yes. By the way, I looked up Piranha 3 Double D last week, as I promised. Uh-huh. The cover still tells me nothing. David Hasselhoff <laughs> is in it, so I think it probably was not Pornhub. But the cover of the like, like the movie poster is mm-hmm. just a piranha floating around boobs. So yeah. we I saw it. Know. I saw it on IMDb. <laughs> the jury is still out. Actually, um, my friend Leah uh, texted me and said that it, it's like a sequel. There's like four of these movies. Oh, God. Yeah. Are they like off-brand American Pie kind of films? I don't know. She did not mention what they are. Leah, I need a follow-up text. (laughs) (laughs) Also, thank you for doing the research. We love you. Yes, we do love her. She's awesome. Um, So this week's Pornhub or TV, (laughs) Olivia Diabo, was in a show called Sex and Execs. Oh, I'm going to say definitely Playboy Channel. No, it was actually, um, I don't know what channel it ran on, but they spell sex S-E-C-S because it's about secretaries and the executives that hire them. Uh, I feel played. It can still be a porn. I feel played. (laughs) But I thought it was amazing. So I'm going to try to do that every week. This week was really hard. So (laughs) yeah, but it is my new favorite thing to talk about. I'm so down with this, and we needed this at the top of this awful story. We did. Also, my real true crime at the end is pretty fucking hilarious. So Good. Yeah. yeah. So now we get to the movie. We are opening in Mexico. The Chiron at the bottom says they're 170 miles outside of Mexico City, which, for the record, I'm about 150 miles away from the Mexican border. So it's about they're about as far away from Mexico City as I am to the border. Gotcha. I don't, that makes no difference to anybody, but <laughs> it gives me a good frame of reference, but yeah. I'm from Texas. So I'm sure. familiar enough with the area. Yeah. 
Um, Jane is riding a horse, like, on a trail. She seems quite happy. Everything in the beginning of this movie, everybody's so happy. So you just know it's going to get real dark. I'm always happy when I'm on horseback. Yeah. Even though my horse is a bitch. I grew up riding horses. I don't ride them much anymore, but that was fun. Um, Eduardo and his friend are driving golf balls into the desert. Like you do, I guess. Like you do. Jane rides by and Eduardo uh, tells his friend that she makes his dreams come true. Oh, right. That's what I typed. Oh, <laughs> back at the ranch, like she plays with her kids and they all like play as a family and then they get ready for a party. And Jane looks hot. And I wrote hot with 70. So I mean it. Wow. Mm hmm. Eduardo says, oh, something is just missing on this, you know, outfit of yours. And then pulls like a very pretty like diamond heart necklace. Not ostentatious, not like very big. Just like a really nice, pretty necklace around her neck. Okay. (laughs) And then the movie's over and everyone's happy? Yeah. Well, well, first they have their anniversary party. Oh, right. Of course, I've missed the anniversary party. Yeah. Their kids like make a toast to them. That's adorable. Then they toast each other. It's also adorable. Um, later, like Jane and his friend, Eduardo's friend, um, are talking to his friend, like talks about how high, how nice their house is and how much, you know, it must've cost and et cetera. And she explains at this point that their ranch was built on sweat equity, that Eduardo's family basically had no money. They bought the place in shambles and rebuilt it from basically from the ground up. Okay. So they're setting That's up the really fact cool. that she's, they're setting up the fact that she doesn't have any money to wealthy. pay his ransom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the mariachis come out, and I feel like I'm in downtown San Antonio on any given evening. I love mariachi. Mm-hmm. Then they have sex, too, because, you know, it's their anniversary. In so. front of the mariachi? No, in their Because that's Pornhub or TV. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, they're running late to school, and Jane tells Eduardo to stay home and finish his banana pancakes. Like the which Jack he's really Johnson excited song. about. Mm-hmm. But he insists on coming to with her to drop off the kids. Something about that tells me this will not end well. No, just eat the pancakes. Yeah, just stay home and eat your fucking banana pancakes, dude. Please. <clears throat> sure enough, they drive by a windowless van. And Jane remarks that that's a very dangerous place to park because she's a mom. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they pull into the school and there's a sketchy looking guy in a station wagon in the parking lot that nobody seems concerned with. I don't know at your school, but at um, my son's school, even the high school, like if there's some weird dude parked in the parking lot, they're going to say something. There's actually an explanation that I have for why no one was concerned. Okay. Yay. Well, it's no one's just, just no one's concerned in this movie. Right. Okay. Um, the, they pull out of the school after dropping off their children, and um, the station wagon follows them and then pulls up on a ridge beside the road and speeds past them. This is all going to happen real fast, and I'm going to do my best to explain what happened. It's this is the time hard. to be concerned about the station wagon, dude. Yeah. Um, you know, just have forgotten your cell phone at the school. like. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. Suddenly, they're driving by the windowless van again but it pulls like a sudden u-turn and pulls like right out in front of them and immediately like slows down 
out of nowhere, a pickup truck comes out and rear ends them. This happens so fucking fast. I don't like any of that. Take it no. back. So all the vehicles stop. Everyone inside of the other vehicles is masked. They come out. They take Eduardo out of the side. Jane gets out of the car. She runs up a, a hill and is so desperate. She grabs onto a barbed wire fence. Oh, which they promptly rip her off of while I screamed, oh, oh my oh. God, her hand. Oh. <laughs> As a professional violinist and violist, hand injuries in movies get me the worst. It was horrible. I can't. Uh-uh. I'm Take too it. much of an empath to watch stuff like that. It Take it all out. back right yeah. now. I can't. I can't. It happened for real. <laughs> they are thrown in the back of the van and I don't know about you. I live pretty close to Mexico, and I always have. You were more East Texas. Yeah, I'm Northeast. But um, this is like every story they would tell me when I would tell people I was going to Mexico. Yeah. This is like, this is what's going to happen to you. That's the story that everyone tells. If you go on a cruise to Mexico, somebody mm-hmm. from my hometown is like, you know, you'll get thrown in a van and kidnapped and raped. Totally. Which, by the way, is not true. I've been to Mexico many times. It's a beautiful country. I just want to say that. I mean, right. it, that stuff does happen, but not as often as people think it does. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't go to Juarez and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, they put hoods on them, uh, drive to another location. One of the kidnappers tells Jane not to move or he will kill her and her entire family. Then they all get out and leave. I was hoping they were just desperate to throw them a surprise anniversary party. No. After a few minutes, Jane takes off her hood and she's alone. Duct taped in a ditch in the Mexican desert. Literally, you could not string any worse words together to set off all my anxiety. Yeah, it's horrifying. I don't like this. No, it's really bad. Um, By the way, do you remember when our friend sent us a text that said, I think it was Amanda, who said they're going to start a drinking game every time they say, I don't like this? Oh, Uh, yeah. Drink, Amanda. Just heads up, everybody. If that is your drinking game, you're going to be drunk. Yeah. Just call the ambulance to be on standby. (laughs) You're clear alcohol poisoning in a little bit. Um, She manages to flag down a bus. Um. And phone the police. Which the is police. already terrifying. It's Mexico. We've heard yeah. horror stories about the police. Yeah. When they, well, and this is just the local police. When they call the federales, I was like, mm, do you want to do that? <laughs> because I was always told, like, if you're in a border town and you get stopped by the federales just to give them money and they'll leave you alone. I've always been told that too. Now, also, I'll get into it in my case. Remind me, though, I have a conversation about that. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be insensitive. Like, that's just the stories that you hear. That's what I've always been told. Right. me too. Um, uh, The police come and they seem less than interested in this whole thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're real dedicated. They're very concerned. They're moving at a brisk snail's pace. So another story where I get to say, why don't put the police do their fucking job? For now. Mm-hmm. For now. You're going to just wait. <laughs> just wait till Raul the Federale shows up and solves this case while not wearing a shirt. 
Just kidding. He does wear a shirt, but oh. I wish you didn't. I was getting really excited. <laughs> I was like, let me look this up and watch it while you're talking. <laughs> um, but the police do find a letter addressed to Jane in the front seat. Okay. And they, they spelled her name correctly because it has a Y in it. It's not J-A-N-E. It's J-A-Y-N-E. Right. And so this really freaks her out because she knows that this was not a random attack. Okay. Like, if they know how to spell her name, she knows it's not random. Right. <sighs> Meanwhile, Eduardo is taken to a dark, abandoned building where they run a metal detector over him. Like, I guess in case he brought the butter knives from his goddamn banana pancakes. <laughs> or if he was wired. <laughs> wired from what? His breakfast with his children? Well, I will explain why that's a concern, too. I got so deep into this case, I'm, like, having to dig my way back to reality. Oh, Lord. Okay. It, it makes no sense. You don't need to... You literally kidnapped a man in his pajamas. He's probably not wired. Right. <laughs> um, then they tie him to a chair, and they, you know, they at least, like, clean um, his head wound. Well, so I was like, that's oh, maybe, maybe this is Doctors Without Borders and they just have really bad bedside manner. That's exactly what it is. Without borders, without restraint, without lots of things. Um, then they give him a shot and oh, throw so him. Doctors. Yeah. Okay. Then they give him a shot. They throw him into a shipping container with horrible lighting, which is my nightmare. Oh, God, I'm claustrophobic. Well, no, the horrible lighting is my nightmare. At least, like, <laughs> put those nice, like, non-heat bulbs in there. So I look good for the picture you're going to take and send to my loved no! one. I would rather die. My God, I'm so vain. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so reporters just descend on Jane's house. The policemen give her a form to sign Authorizing them to negotiate for her, like on her behalf. Okay. She asks them what their success rate is with getting hostages back. And the guy's like, oh, we get them back every time. And then he like turns to his partner and like raises his eyebrows. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> now, she should have asked, like, are they alive when they come yeah. back? Are they alive? They have all 10 fingers and toes in both ears. Um, <laughs> She asks about the cars that ambushed them, and the cops like, "Well, they were probably stolen, so there's no need to look into them at all." Uh, okay, okay, thanks. And she's like, "Well, we won't know that until you check into it and confirm." And at this point, he gets real fucking condescending, and I hate him. Um, no, this is not hot guy. No. Okay. He says, "Listen, Senora." I assure you that we're doing everything we can. Go fuck yourself. Like, fuck you, dude. She takes the form and goes to talk to the people that work on the ranch with her. Okay. Um, and they basically, so there's this nice, like, older man named Gustavo, and then a younger girl who I think is Eduardo's niece that comes out later. Um, but Gustavo is basically like, fuck this dude. Like, no. <laughs> Thank God for Gustavo. She and but she does ask. She's like, "Hey, have you ever seen this happen before?" And he's like, "I mean, I've really only seen it on the news." So this is not like they're really driving home the fact that this does not happen as often as people think it does. Right. <laughs> um, she reaches out then to a firm that does negotiations like this. Um, 
they do have a business. Now, kidnappings in foreign countries on the whole is a thing that happens. Kidnapping for ransom anyway. Right. And so, like, there are even insurance policies you can buy for this um, called a, a K&R, a kidnap and ransom policy, that will pay out if you are kidnapped in a foreign country. Really? Um, and they, yeah, they do. They hire these firms that negotiate on, on behalf of your family um, for the payout. And then the insurance uh, pays the ransom up to the limit that they have. Right. That's really mm-hmm. awful that that has to be a thing. It is. Yeah. Uh, my company sells them. It is a thing. And they're also like super secretive. Like we don't even have them list people listed by their names. Like it's all coded. I don't even know who they are. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so the guy that she reaches out to see also seems very disinterested, especially when she tells him that they aren't actually rich. Oh no. Fuck, like fuck this fuck guy too. You. Like that's, I hate everybody and yeah. everyone except for you and our listeners. And Dr. Sarah. Aw. <laughs> she tells him the story of, like, what happened, like, this, how it was kidnapped. And he's very shocked that she was with him and that they let her go. Okay. Um, and he then says that he can't help her. She needs to contact the Federales. That's the most disheartening thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's about to get worse. Mm-mm, no, it's not. He says that they'll explain this all to her, that he really can't do anything for her. But then he throws in, it's already noon. I suggest you act quickly. Best of luck. And he hangs up. Oh, that's because kidnappers go to lunch from 12 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets a lunch break. And he was just like, you know, work now while they're on lunch break. It's easier because they're hungry. (laughs) Actually, he's just a fucking asshole. I tried. (laughs) Um, At this point, I am full, like, I'm halfway to a rage blackout because, like, it's clear that he knows something that she doesn't, that he knows that there's something else at play here. But he just doesn't tell her. And you don't need to be a jackass. Like, say, hey, you need to call the Federales because of this reason. And that's it. And then say goodbye. Be polite. God. She um, relays the story to, again, who I think is Eduardo's niece, because she then calls her brother and says that Uncle Eduardo is in trouble and to go to the Federales office in Mexico and tell them what happened. Okay. Or Mexico City. Right. They're in Mexico. (laughs) I knew what you meant. Um, So at this point, Jane goes into full on, quote, hide things that may be illegal mode. Oh, no. And they put a bunch of guns that uh, Eduardo inherited from his father into an upstairs bedroom because they're not registered. Okay. Um, she calls the bank to check on the money situation. And the good news is they have half a million dollars in this CD. Oh, yeah. Doesn't everyone? Yeah. The bad news is that this is a patriarchal society here in Mexico. It's all in Eduardo's name. So Jane can't touch it. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She tells her kids when she picks them up from school that Eduardo is away on business, but her son, who is older, he's like 10 or 11, I think, um, calls bullshit real quick. So she tells him the truth, but they don't tell her daughter, who is younger, until later. Okay. Um, so later that evening after everybody goes to bed, uh, Jane goes to check on her kids, and her son is not in his bed. So you get like the yeah. freaky like lifetime music. Yeah, you know? I don't like She's this. Like, She's running around, um, but she opens her daughter's bedroom and her son, Diego, is sleeping on the floor next to her, his sister, 
to protect her while his dad's gone. No. I know. Do they just have the two kids? Yeah, they just have two kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the Federale arrives. He calls from the bus station. And Beautiful. it's the hot doctor from the good doctor. And I'm so happy that he's here. Nothing can go wrong now. I feel so much better now. <laughs> um, I, I put, I hope negotiating the release of a kidnapping victim involves being shirtless a lot. <laughs> Obviously it does. It sadly does not, but then lifetime you did not do your research. He Listen does to wear us. some. He does wear some tight T-shirts, so you can see his abs through them for a little bit. Um, yeah, she is concerned that he may not be who he says he is because he arrived by bus. I get that, and not like a, a like a black suburban, right? <laughs> With a giant sticker that says "Federally," I'm for real AFI, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know what AFI stands for, so I just don't use it. I just call them federales the whole it's time. It's the Agencia, um, Intelli- hold on, I've got it written down somewhere. Anyway, I'll get to it. It's in my okay. notes. But he says if he had, um, come in with a vehicle like that, um, the kidnappers, cause they're, they are being watched, he says, and it, they would have been really pissed and it could have, they could have killed her whole family. Uh, we cut to poor Eduardo in his shipping container. And he's just saying Jane's name like over and over again. And I couldn't figure out why at first, but it finally like dawned on me that at this point he knows that she's not with him anymore. And so he probably he, thinks that she's dead. Right. Yeah. Um, Raul, the federale explains to Jane that the group that kidnapped Eduardo is a political revolutionary group who refused to negotiate with private firms like the one she contacted before, which is why he told her to fuck off, basically. Well, if he'd said that... Yeah. He could have he could like, have just, just relayed that sentence before saying goodbye like a polite human being. Right. <laughs> Sorry, bitch. It's noon. Bye. Ugh, I hated him. Um, he explains that the good news is that they just want money and they never kill their victims. The bad news is that the ransom will at least be a million dollars. Spoiler alert, it's way more. I know. I Um, need more alcohol. Yeah. They go to the crime scene, like where they were kidnapped, um, and she's kind of walking him through what happened. Meanwhile, um, in what I assume is Mexico City, um, a shady-looking motherfucker goes to an internet cafe and sends a ransom email. When Jane and Raul get it, um, they call the the AFI Afi, and they immediately start tracing the email. Okay. So he says, like Raul says in the beginning, he's like, yeah, I showed up alone on a bus. He's like, but everybody's working this case. Like, we're all on it. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, this email pisses me off. So here we go. Um, is it an Amazon gift card redemption code? No. Damn. It starts with Senora Jane. We hope you got home okay. I don't like that. I was like, who? You know what? You kidnapped her husband. There is no room for politeness. Like, fuck that. At least he was um, nicer than the guy at the agency. Their demand is for her to place the following ad in a newspaper. And I won't even try to name the news- newspaper because 
I don't Spanish. Um, <laughs> and this ad is going to be real confusing, but I promise to explain it. Okay. The ad that they ask her to place is by Chow Chow Dog Austin. Vaccinated with complete pedigree, 8,000 pesos. Okay. Would you like to know what that means? Um, she has an AKC registered chow and she's bred it. And that's how she's going to get the money they need for ransom. No. Okay. Basically. So the chow chow is Eduardo, um, Austin. They're referring to a deal, which I will get into later that, um, Eduardo was in the middle of negotiating vaccinated with complete pedigree is basically returning him without being harmed. Mm Mm-hmm. 8,000 pesos means they want $8 million. Go fuck yourselves. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, Eduardo was in the middle. Remember when he and his buddy were hitting golf balls like in the beginning of the movie? Right. It turns out that at that time they were trying to negotiate a land deal for the guy um, he was with to buy some of the land that Eduardo owns to build a golf course. For how much? 8,000 pesos. $8 million. <laughs> <laughs> the deal was supposed to be secret, but they live in a small town. So, um, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, people talk. Right. I'm from a small town. Mm-hmm. Before the sentence was finished, everybody knew because some little lady oh. at church told everybody. For sure. <laughs> they call Cal, who is the buddy, um, and he promises to try to move the deal along like to get her the money. But then she calls the bank and they're basically like, yeah, they, like this land can or they can work on the deal, but you can't really put it in place because you don't own the land. Your husband does. I hate everybody. Yeah, this movie sucks. <laughs> she places an ad in the paper that she's trying to get the money. And I don't forget. I don't remember exactly what she said, um, but she does it in that stupid code with the chow chow, et cetera. Um, so they pull Eduardo out of his poor, like, shipping container and make him write her a note that they then scan and, like, email to her, which, God, this, they're, like, negotiating in the 90s. It's terrible. This is awful. Hey, was the note, the chow chow is beyond my realistic economic possibilities? No. Okay. Oh, it might have been. Yeah, I think it was. The note that she placed back, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was. Sorry, I thought you meant the note that he wrote to her, and I was like, no. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's, he's got his own code that makes less sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, he writes her a note um, that they will kill him, and they make him write and call her a cold, heartless bitch for holding back all the money that they clearly have in the bank. Oh, my God. It's terrible. She freaks out. Um, Raul is like, look, they're trying to get a rise out of you. Like, he didn't write that himself. Like, they're telling him what to write. Like, they're writing that to you, you know. Good on Raul. She's like, fuck everything. I'm going to the market. So she does, but someone follows her, of course. So is this like stress shopping? Yeah. Because I do that. It's like stress shopping, but at the farmer's market. Oh, good. So she's buying like vegetables. At least, you know. Organic zucchini. (laughs) Um, so someone in the kidnap kidnappers camp follows her. It's that same fucking station wagon. I hate it. Um, she recognizes the car from the kidnapping. 
So she leaves the market, but the car follows her. She's on her way home and she calls Raul and he's like, okay, like he runs to the gate and he opens the gate like to the ranch. She pulls in and he runs out and he writes, he manages to get the license plate of the car. Okay. Um, so at this point, Jane is very clearly freaked out. So she does the next logical thing. Which Paints is her try fingernails. To, try to teach herself how to shoot an enormous gun. I mean, that would have been my first step before the zucchini. Shit, right? Um, Raul like goes out and is watching her and we get a little comic relief because she turns around and she's clearly like pissed the fuck off, which she should be. Right. Um, and she's like, this gun is illegal. And Raul's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we have bigger problems. We're good. Like, <laughs> good, good for you. <laughs> Um, he's like, maybe when you're done, like we could register the gun, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you have other things going on. Uh, but it gets dark again real fast because the local police are back. Fuck them. Yeah. They're bringing the car from the kidnapping, the car that they drove that day. Um, and basically, like these local police taunt her because her husband is still missing. And if it was them negotiating, they would have had him back by now. Okay, yeah, that's how it works. Totally. So Raul, like, walks up and dismisses them from their presence like a god. Thank God for then Raul. He takes off his shirt and jumps in the pool and gets out all glistening. I'm sorry, that didn't happen. Um. <laughs> and then he throws his hair back and he's reborn in Christ. Wrong movie? Yeah, that's the Jody Arias movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Um, the federales find the car that followed Jane home, but they surround it with their big giant guns. And this poor little old lady gets out of the car and she's like, um, <laughs> not Nana. Yeah. Um, Eduardo's buddy also calls at this point and says that the land deal is dead because quote, Mexico just isn't a sound investment right now. You of all people should know that. That. Uh, wh uh, what? Yeah. That would be like looking at someone whose grandma died of cancer and being like, did you know doctors can't for cure all forms of cancer? Like, you fucking bitch, we're aware. Mm -hmm. We get it. Now's not the time. Really? So Jane then goes, oh, look, it's Olivia. She's here for the first time. Well, she was at the anniversary party, but this is the first time she speaks in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she, Jane goes to beg her to help pay the ransom. Um, and Olivia is like, look, he may already be dead. So Jane's like, hey, you know what? You can fuck off. And I like Jane a lot. Right? Mm -hmm. Are you fucking, that's her response? Yeah. Olivia, you have fallen one rung to me. Mm -hmm. Maybe two. Jane places another ad asking for a more reasonable offer. So the kidnappers respond by pulling Eduardo out of his container so he can send her a gift. Uh, this a is diamond where... necklace and him home safely. No. This is where we get Lifetime's edit of the week. Oh, no. There's a voiceover of the kidnapper telling Jane to go to a random piece of land in the middle of nowhere to dig up a package from Eduardo. I don't like where this is going. 
Meanwhile, they show the kidnappers holding a very large knife, first to Eduardo's finger and then to his ear. Uh, uh, this is all interspersed with Jane, like, digging this package out of the ground. And the whole time I'm like, oh, my God, there's going to be a body part in this package. Oh, and I hate it. it's like seven. Oh. Yeah, it's real bad. Uh, um, but finally, she opens the package. And instead of a body part, thank oh. God. <laughs> My whole body was tense. I was like, that's not in this story, but if Lifetime did this, I'm done. Instead of a body part, it's a bunch of IOUs signed by Eduardo, so the people in the town will advance her money to pay for his ransom. Okay. There's that, at least. I mean, a lot of people would have been like, this is ridiculous, but Jane doesn't even flinch at this point. She's like, okay, like let's see what we can do. Yeah. So she goes around, but basically people tell her no. She goes home and her kids are playing with Raul. They're playing uh, soccer. And she's just so frustrated at this point. She gets out. She kind of loses her shit at Raul. She's like, is this how you're getting my husband back by playing with my kids? I mean, I I get where it's coming it's from. just frustration. They make up later. It's right. Um, um, here's the next part where I cried. Uh, <laughs> uh, tears of joy. No. Because they're at Disney World? No. Because she cannot sell her house or her land, she just starts selling everything else that they have. She sells their horses, stuff from their home. Mm. Her daughter brings her her piggy bank and is like, here, like, get, you know, use this to get daddy. Oh, because she's told her her daughter now that um, bad men have taken daddy away. Gotcha. Okay. The kidnappers, meanwhile, drag Eduardo from his container. To Disney World. No. They press a gun to the back of his leg and shoot him. No! Oh, God, I was not prepared. Lord Jesus! Oh, you God. You read this book. You know what happened. But the timeline is all off right now. Okay. Um, so they send Jane a picture of this, which is not cool, guys. No. Okay. Um, I mean, the whole thing is not cool. But right. Really. <laughs> Raul assures her that there will be no permanent damage to him, that when they when the, this group does this, they shoot through the muscle and they hold the gun like to the back of the leg. So it immediately cauterizes the wound. He won't bleed to death and that they probably even have antibiotics to treat any kind of infection that he may. Get. What dicks? Yeah. Seriously. So at this point, Jane goes full on bad bitch, and I love it. She marches her ass into the bank and tells the asshole that works there that she wants her money. Good. He says, this is out of his hands. There's nothing he can do. Go fuck yourself. So she wants to know whose hands it's in, so she knows who to go, you know, talk to. Um... At this point, the bank, I don't know, like, president, owner, I don't know how banks work. The, the king of the bank. The king of the bank <laughs> comes in and tell, and Jane turns around because he's like, oh, is there a problem? Can I help you with something? And Jane turns around and says, listen to me very carefully. She goes her full, like, Liam Neeson taken moment here. Good for her. My husband has been held in captivity 
and tortured for months now. And this bank has been keeping money that is ours that could free him. The bank owner looks terrified because she goes on, and he should be, because she goes on to say that she is going to file a lawsuit against the bank for misappropriation of funds and intentional infliction of pain and suffering. Additionally, if Eduardo dies in captivity or is murdered by his captors, she will throw in a wrongful death action for good measure. Good for her work. Yeah. She's gone rogue. And Raul is like, can you please calm down? Raul, shut the (laughs) fuck up. You need to stay out of this right now. Not for you. Go take a swim. <laughs> um, <clears throat> she places an ad now in the paper that says, um, it basically offers them $600,000 for the chow chow. She puts in there, it is their sole and final offer. Okay. And not to fuck with her. Yeah. Like she is taking control. Yeah, she, oh, she's grabbing this bull by the horns, and it's great. Um, the kidnapper man is at the internet cafe checking his email, and he is unhappy. I can't imagine why. So they shoot Eduardo in his arm. Okay, I knew that one was coming. Mm-hmm. Now I've picked the timeline back up. Yeah. Um, someone has contacted the Federales with information about a hostage, so they raid the location. So... There's a there's like a back and forth here of these, you know, federales like raiding this location and the kidnappers talking to Eduardo. So you think maybe that they're raiding the right location. Spoiler alert, they're not. Like <laughs> It's like in the bling ring. They did this to us in the bling ring. Yes, they did. Um, they make Eduardo read the ad that Jane left in the paper along with uh, it being their sole and final offer. She writes the following. If we never get to see the chow chow again or hold it in our arms, so be it. Oh, fuck. The kidnappers ask Eduardo what they're supposed to do with this. And um, (laughs) because this is like not how this goes for them. (laughs) She's gone off timeline. Like she's gone off script. They're very happy. (laughs) They're like, we don't have a plan C. Like this is all we've got. I just hit my glasses Um, on my microphone. He chokes at first and then he gains his resolve and he looks up and he says, you should believe her. So he also knows she's not fucking around. Yeah, he does. And he, I assume he understands like what she's doing. He doesn't seem like mad. He just seems like broken. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Federales do find a hostage and they rescue the guy, which is good. Good. But it's not Eduardo. I hate to be let down by that because they rescued somebody who needed they it. They did. Like, they did. They reunited someone with his family. He had been missing for a year and basically had basically been like tied up in this or chained in this uh, like random water closet in an abandoned building for a year by himself. shit. Which would be horrible. I mean, the guy has the crazy eyes when they open the door, which I would too. Right. Mm-hmm. Jane at this point goes back to the market. The same guy follows her, but instead of running home, she marches right up to his car and is like, can I fucking help you while she bangs on his hood? Oh my God. I love her so much. Me too. She's the bomb. Um, He goes back to the internet cafe and is like complaining to his boss or whatever. (laughs) Can you imagine typing your responses like this bitch has gone crazy? (laughs) 
No, he, they're like sitting outside. I don't understand. Are they running out of this cafe? Why can nobody find them? They're always in the same place. <laughs> um, so he goes, he's relaying the story to his friend or boss or whoever, who basically is like, um, I don't care about this at all. Um, cause kidnappers are so rude. <laughs> Um, but Jane also gets an email from the kidnappers that they have accepted their offer, her offer. Oh, how kind of them. Yeah. They ask for the money. And this is such like a, a trope, like a kidnapping trope. Okay. They ask for the money in unmarked, non-sequential hundred dollar bills. <laughs> she has to bring it to Mexico city with an associate. And, um, she says, they say your husband suggested Gustavo, the guy that works at the ranch with her. Okay. They give her a hotel to check into and wait for further instructions. Here's Olivia again. She like pops up outside the bank (laughs) and she's like, Hey, I'm so sorry that I thought he was dead. Like he's clearly alive. My bad. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Jane's like, Jane's like, um, that's really nice. I got to go. Like she's like, got a duffel bag with (laughs) $600,000. Chilling on the roadside. (laughs) Um, so she gets an email when it's time to leave the motel and they tell her to mark a T on her car with duct tape and drive to a bridal shop. They leave an address for her to drive to a payphone for more instructions. And like, if these people wanted to have a scavenger hunt, there are way better ways to do it. I feel like I got these same instructions when I was collecting beanie babies in the nineties. <laughs> So this goes on for a long time. They do. They give her an address. She goes and there's another address and she goes like, it's ridiculous. This is the worst scavenger hunt I've heard of. Absolutely. Finally, they find a photo of Eduardo holding that day's paper, which is their proof of life. Okay. They park outside this parking garage and here's another kidnapping trope. There's like flashing headlights at the other end. So they flash theirs back <laughs> all very ridiculous what if it wasn't the kidnappers it was just somebody who couldn't find their car so they're just clicking the button while they walk around (laughs) no okay so um they told her in the note so gustavo they told her to stay in the car and to have gustavo bring the money okay i was like oh no they're gonna kill him but they don't good (laughs) they tell her to keep her hands visible at all times and all I could think at this point is if I had to do that, my face and body would start to itch so bad and I would want to move my hands right? so bad. Um, like I would be able to think of nothing else. Um, a car behind her suddenly flashes its lights on and screeches away. Gustavo comes back, but Eduardo is not with him. Where's Eduardo? They don't know. Aaron, give him back. I don't have him. You're telling the story and I don't like the way you're telling it. She um, back. So at this point, she just loses it. And I would too. She starts screaming and sobbing. She gets out of the car and she's screaming like, where's my husband? Like she falls down. It's terrible. It's horrible. God, that breaks my heart. It was awful. Like when I retell it, it sounds very dramatic and kind of dumb, but it, it's not in the movie. It, Every it's really- stitch of dramaticism she has earned. Totally. She, it's hers. She's welcome to be however dramatic she needs to be because this yeah. shit is awful. It's horrible. Okay. She finally calls Eduardo and he tells her that this has never happened and to go to her hotel. Calls Eduardo? 
not in order, Raul, my oh, bad. I was like, shit, if she could have called him this whole time, what the <laughs> hell is going on? I'm sorry, she calls Raul. <laughs> oh, shit. I was like, fuck, that's the worst kidnapping. I take it all back. She can just buried, dial his number. I buried the lead real hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay. She gets home. He hasn't been kidnapped. He's just been in the guest room this whole time. Like, <laughs> it's like, what? I was taking a nap. <laughs> She's like, well, we're broke now. <laughs> um, okay. She calls Raul and he tells her that this has never happened to go before and to go to her hotel. He hangs up and he's so frustrated. Um, he even goes outside and starts crying because this really has never happened to him before. Usually this goes pretty smoothly. Right. Um, she gets an email the next day that says, we have the money. We counted it. You may go home now. Um, you're forgetting the other half, sir. Right. So it's Diego's birthday and they're all having cake and it flashes briefly to the outside of the house. And so I assume something's going to happen, but nothing does. Oh, at this point, there are also five minutes left in this movie and that's cutting it close even for a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, they usually do the 20 minute wrap up. Yeah. Um, Jane tells Raul that she's going to believe what he said in the beginning that they never kill their, their victims. And that somewhere he's alive. Raul tells her at this, like that he's been using a fake name this whole time, but they don't go into that. Like, it's just something that we know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's undercover is what that's yeah. telling us. Yeah. Um, Jane wakes up one morning, maybe the next morning, maybe a week later, maybe a month later. I don't know. They don't say, um, she's eating breakfast. Her kids are playing checkers and she sees Eduardo walking down the street, but it's just a dream. Eduardo, it's him in, in his suit I that was he was about wearing to cry. Stop it. He's in the suit that he was wearing at their anniversary party the night before he was kidnapped. But then is it, it's not just a dream. It's Eduardo in his pajamas stumbling home he looks like fucking hell, Stop but it. everyone is happy. Everyone is hugging. Nobody died. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God you're really the crying. Of this case really has gotten to me. It's terrible. Um, and Lifetime fucks up stories, so I didn't know where this was going to go. Yeah. Um, the end um, script is, quote, the men who abducted and held Eduardo Valseca in captivity have never been identified or arrested. Shortly after Eduardo's return, the Valsecas left their ranch in Santa Natalia, Mexico, the home, city, and country that they love so dearly, and they will never live there again. And that's the end. That's my story. Oh, my God. This movie was very sad. Sometimes they Lifetime brings it with the funny. They really did not this week. So, sorry, guys. I tried. <laughs> we, we really tried. Oh. oh, and I just want to say at the beginning, or I should, or at the end, I guess, at the beginning of your story, <laughs> right? Uh, I would pair this movie with a margarita. Absolutely, totally. You're going to need the tequila to deaden your nerves. You need and a couple festive. of margaritas. It's festive, and it goes with the movie theme. It goes with everything. After about halfway through the movie, you can just start chugging directly out of the bottle of tequila because it'll be much better for you. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay. All right. And that's my story. Your turn. So, um, my sources are um, 
a piece that ran on Inquisitor.com called Jane and Eduardo Valseca. See, I almost said Valesca. I know, you did. Um, A um, piece that ran in Marie Claire that um, either was written by or was transcribed from an interview. Um, It was called My Husband Was Kidnapped, and it Mm -hmm. was Jane Valseca being interviewed. Um. And then the book that she wrote with an uh, an author helped her write it. His name was Mark Ebner. So mm-hmm. it's Jane Velsica and Mark Ebner. The book is called We Have Your Husband, One Woman's Terrifying Story of Kidnapping in Mexico. Correct. And then the last one was uh, in the Washington Post, and it's The Obituary of Jane Rager. Mm. Yeah. Which I I also have already started my notes for this week on the blog. Uh-huh. Because um, I wanted to link all of my sources. Okay. So except for the book, which I'll put an Amazon link, but you can find the pieces that I read if people want to read the whole thing. Um, and I think that I'm going to do that from now on. If I can remember, please don't hold me to this when you, we get to episode 176 and you're like, Paul, remember you said this thing in episode 12 and you never did it again. <laughs> um, I will help you remember. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Instead of just focusing on this awful case that made me cry so much, mm-hmm. I'm focusing more on the two main characters of the story. Hey, because I mean, they have basically just discussed the entire case. They it was have pretty close, incredible right? stories. Yeah. Um, so at the top, I'm just going to say Jane Rager Velsica. Um, I would have her played by Jane Lynch, like a younger Jane Lynch. Who okay. I just love her as an actress. Um, and then. Eduardo Garcia Valseca, I would have played by Gael Garcia Bernal. Um, they don't look anything alike, but I love him as an actor, and he's beautiful. So, nice. it's my dream casting. I can do what I want. I'm on board. Um, so Jane Rager was born on September 5th, 1966, in okay. Silver Spring, Maryland, which is a suburb of Washington D.C. Okay. Um, and she was interesting as hell even before this whole story. Um, her mother's side of the family was one of the earliest families to settle in the Virginia, Virginia colony. Okay. And they even still have the grant for land that Thomas Jefferson signed to them in 1780 for the wow. land that her family still lives on. That's incredible. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. And her mother has traced their bloodline all the way back to Daniel Boone's mother. Wow. So they're like already fascinating for that alone. No um, kidding. And her mother was also named Jane Rager. And this was like a junior situation where Jane got that Y so they could differentiate between mama, who was spelled J-A-N-E, and oh. child, who was J-A-Y-N-E. I'm on board. Yep. Now, her dad was super cool. He was the son of a coal miner. Like, he was his own Loretta Lynn. <laughs> um, and he has That's what popped in my head immediately was coal miner's daughter. You're welcome. <laughs> he has a, such an interesting story too. So he, he grew up super poor in a small mm-hmm. town in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had very few opportunities a because of the class he was born into. And then because right. there weren't a whole lot of opportunities in his town. So okay. he thought the only way out was either by getting a football scholarship mm-hmm. or joining the military. And uh, which one did he do? Well, he got both is the cool part. But, Excellent. So he got a football scholarship, but he was so embarrassed because he couldn't afford new clothes for university 
that he wound up turning down the scholarship to go into the Air Force. Nice. Um, so he went to the Air Force and worked. He uh, worked his way up into Air Force intelligence. Oh wow, that's so cool! And then got recruited by the CIA and worked for the CIA. No way. Yeah. Um, in 1960, though, a pilot named Francis Gary Powers was flying a U-2 spy plane and was shot down over Soviet Russia. Oh. Jane's father's contact information was in the pilot's pocket when mm-hmm. the Russians found his body. Oh my gosh. And so this was at the height of the Cold War. And the U.S. had to publicly admit that it had been spying on Soviet Union because of this event. And so they had to declassify his father and her father and his file because Mm -hmm. the pilot was being talked about in all the newspapers and broadcasts and stuff. Um, And Jane's father was the pilot CIA handler. He was collecting Mm -hmm. all the information the pilot was getting. And so he was also getting a lot of public attention because his name was in the pocket. Um, So he had to kind of start all over, but he took a job with the Washington Gas Company. Mm-hmm. worked his way up through the ranks, started a subsidiary company from the gas company and rose all the way to vice president of the gas company. Wow. So he is a badass. Yeah, that's cool. Um, that's like basically the American dream. Like, absolutely. That's it. Um, so um, when Jane was two and a half years old, she had uh, a sister was born, um, okay. but this sister spent an entire year in the hospital after she was born because of complications from a severe case of spina bifida. Aww. And she uh, she eventually died before she was able to come home. And oh, that's terrible. Janet comments in her memoir that she was able to sneak into the hospital once to hold her and feed Aww. her. And so she has just this one memory of the sister. Um, that's so sad. That's my my sister was born very premature she's got um cerebral palsy and i have like a distinct memory i was seven years old when she was born but i have a memory of um also she's fine like right (laughs) um um i have a memory of i had it was we were all in the NICU and i had gotten a baby doll and like wrapped it in a blanket and my grandfather thought that i had taken my sister out of the incubator (laughs) (laughs) was just carrying her around I love that so much. And I almost got in so much trouble, but I was like, it's a baby doll. Aww. <laughs> um, so um, a few months after the death of the sister, Jane's little brother, John, was born. Okay. But because of all of the complications from the sister, her parents became really like overprotective of John and hovered over him and left Jane to kind of grow up on her own. Because they were so, like, I can see that's a damage to your psyche, having this super sick kid and making the next one this shining. That doesn't excuse it, but I can see how it happened. So Jane's mother, Jane, uh, (laughs) had been an actress before she had kids. Mm -hmm. She was very beautiful and won several, like, pageants and appeared in TV commercials. She was was even cast as an extra in movies, including Justice for All, The Exorcist, and All the President's Men. So, like, high-budget films. Okay, I've heard of two of those movies. Right. Um, <laughs> her father was also in All the President's Men. He appears mm-hmm. as a security guard, but also as a stunt driver in the film. Nice! That's right. pretty cool. Um, so, her ties to the enemy... To the enemy? Nope. Her ties <laughs> to the entertainment industry... 
<laughs> worked. Maybe they're the enemy. I don't know. They weren't easily cut, however, and so she started pushing Jane into acting at a young age. By that I mean Jane pushed, uh, booked her first acting gig when she was six months old. And then she worked steadily until she was 23 years old in commercials, wow. modeling, in theater, in soap operas, and in films. Wow. That's yeah. kind of cool. So as a freshman in college, she was attending a local college, um, but she was offered a recurring spot on a soap opera. So she moved to New York to film and to pursue her acting more seriously. Mm-hmm. She began studying with some really big names in acting and uh, start and like just kept growing bigger and more impressive in her work as a result. Right. Uh-huh. Um, until eventually she was studying with Stanford Meisner, who um, trained certain like actors and actresses like Steve McQueen, Gregory Peck, Robert uh-huh. Duvall, Diane Keaton, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, I love Jeff Goldblum. Everyone does. Yeah, I know. So um, she studied with him and he picked her to go on a retreat with her, like with him and mm-hmm. seven other actors. He picked, or I think it was eight actors and eight actresses. So it might've been 16 okay. people, but mm-hmm. um, he would never take anyone less than 21 years old. Uh-huh. Or I'm sorry, younger than 25, but she okay. was 21 and he invited her anyway because she was that impressive. Okay. Um, I mean, that's not too far off. It's not like in a gross way. Right. It doesn't seem, you know. Her roommate on this trip to this private island where they lived for months was Teresa Saldana, who was uh, an actress in a movie called Raging Bull and The Comish. But she was also famous, and this is what will strike both mine and your fancy. Um, in 1982, she was stalked by a crazed fan, and he eventually stabbed her ten times in broad daylight. And she, oh my god, I know this story. She survived, but it inspired the one that you're probably thinking of. Another stalker killed uh, Rebecca Schaefer. Yes, it, I'm thinking of Rebecca Schaefer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that stalker copied what the other one did but, for Saldana. Yeah, I think in the 2020 Dateline 48 Hours, whatever that I watched on that, they mentioned um, Probably. Saldana. Yeah, the so story. She yeah. was really influential in having the stalking laws changed. Um, she related to Zoe Saldana. I could not find that because I checked. Okay. Um, I just wonder, you know. Also on this trip was Carrie Elwes. Mm-hmm. who had just returned from the princess bride like he just recorded it amazing yeah so she was in the heart of hollywood at this point well, she moved out to is la the trip that i want to go right on. i was like she's living your dream she is living my dream um her acting somebody call me it's my time to show right? <laughs> her acting credits continued to grow she landed a national contract as the face of mcdonald's and, then- and that's not a back no you get to eat <laughs> um so she also appeared in the movie stella with bet midler mm-hmm. uh and todd luiso who was then chad the nanny and jerry Maguire. <laughs> so just like her credits were just racking up she was in line to be the next hollywood starlet oh totally yeah she was she was in it so after um after like the movie Stella, her acting credits just um, like kept racking up, and her agent was lending her gigs all the time. And so she, um, but she realized she wasn't satisfied with acting. 
Um, so she turned from acting to pursue a job that in her quotes said, or in her words were, um, had to do in her quotes. In her quotes. <laughs> I was trying to say that quote and that in her words, and instead Love I made it, it my That's own phrase. So funny. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, in her words, she said she wanted a job that had more to do with her mind and less to do with her body. I mean, that's legit. Like, right. it's, uh, yeah, I, I get it. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. So during this time, she was dating a man with family in Barcelona. So she was spending a lot of time in Barcelona. Um, this relationship ended, but she did pick up Spanish and became fluent in Spanish as a result, um, which is important later because, as you know, Eduardo is Mexican and speaks Spanish. Um, sure. <laughs> so after um, after everything went awry in L.A. and she decided she didn't want to act anymore, she moved back to the D.C. area uh-huh. and started working as a receptionist for a real estate developer. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was in 1988. And her boss quickly learned that she was very smart and very good with like legalese. So he started having her write the contracts that he would land. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way he would take extended vacations and nobody would know because she would write his contracts. Well, shit, that must be nice. Right. So in return, when he got a promotion into the mortgage department at this company, he named her as his replacement. Mm-hmm. So she just stepped into this job that she'd already been doing and now with the pay scale to go with it. Nice. Um, at least she eventually got there. Right. Um, And she was taking night courses at this time in journalism. She -hmm. believed that she was going to go into newscasting because she was already comfortable in front of a camera Uh and she was a good writer. Um, But in this is such a cute story in her book. In March of 1992, she went to go get her hair done and um, her dress, her hairdresser was like, "Um, listen, you've been single for a long time and not looking. And I think it's time for you to open your heart back up. Like, it's not that no one's offering. It's that you're just avoiding people Mm -hmm. and you need to wake up. And she said something like, "Um, my hairdresser gave me sage wisdom as all hairdressers do or something. And amen. (laughs) I just love that. My hairdresser, who we talked about at the top of this episode, introduced me to a show called Paternity Court. Uh-huh. It's on YouTube. It's fucking fabulous. It's I'll look quickly it up. becoming my favorite show. I'll look it up. Uh, don't forget <laughs> coupon code lifetime sentence to get 0% off your next haircut. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, so she decided that maybe her hairdresser was right. And that night she met Eduardo. Amazing. I love that story. That's amazing. Yes. So she um she had gone to a um gourmet market by her house because she needed mm-hmm. to make some calls and so she's going to use their payphone. And Eduardo came oh, out payphones. Right? Because this was nice. Have you never heard of a payphone? <laughs> <laughs> you used to be able to stick a quarter in it and make a phone call. Right. <laughs> or sometimes you have to dial one eight hundred collect. Oh, collect calls. Uh, anyway, so Eduardo came out of this place and told her that they probably wouldn't let her in because they were closed. And she was like, that's okay. I just need to make a call. Um, and he was with his 16-year-old son who basically was like, dad, turn around and talk to her. Oh, <laughs> um, that's cute. So they hit it off that night and went on a date the next day. Yay. Um, 
when they met, he was, I mean, forever, he was 18 years older than her. But <laughs> when they met, he, he was, was always 18. <laughs> he was 18 years older than her and going through a divorce. Um, he had two children, a son, Eduardo Jr., who mm-hmm. they called Cielo, which is Spanish for heaven. Yes. Um, and then... I, do, he, I, I know a smattering of Spanish words. She's right. not enough to pronounce the newspaper that they asked her to right. run an ad in. <laughs> um, and then he also had a daughter. He was uh, Cielo was 16. And then they had a daughter, Aurora, who was in college at the time. Um, and Wait, when you were trying to learn how to pronounce Spanish last night? Do what? Oh. Teaching you how to say he yes. wants bread. <laughs> yes. So I've applied for a full bread. <laughs> I applied for a Fulbright scholarship for educators yeah. to go to Bolivia this summer. And that would so, be so awesome. I was like, I need to brush up on my Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I'll just go to Duolingo and I did the placement test. And even though it placed me very high up because I used to be fluent, I've just lost a lot of it. Mm-hmm. My accent's yeah. always been terrible, but yeah. Um, well, I can't imagine why. <laughs> right. Um, but it still made me start at the level one vocabulary. So I would at Duolingo, it would say like, ella es una mujer and I'd be like she is a woman and growling at my phone just to like keep myself through it and Sarah was finally like you have got to stop (laughs) so that's so funny also if you go to Bolivia it'll be really fun to try to record this podcast (laughs) you have to take everything with you well I'll know in advance and we'll just have to cut some episodes in advance yeah that's fine although it'll be really fun to try to record Right. In Bolivia. Right. <laughs> Luckily, they're in almost the same time zone. It's not like I'm going to oh, England. Maybe by that time we'll have a Patreon and we can just like have some random conversations. With right. You in Bolivia. That'd be cool. Um, so Eduardo was also interesting as hell. And I swear, like everyone in this story could have had their own lifetime movie, not about the kidnapping, and it would still be interesting. Well, I mean... The laws of physics and true crime tell us that if you're not interesting and there aren't home movies of you abound, that nothing bad will ever happen to right? you. Right? Thank God. <laughs> if there aren't, if there isn't a VHS tape of, of you somewhere blowing out birthday candles in like bad 80s clothes, you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> the law according to Aaron. It's the laws of physics and true crime. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so Eduardo was the son of a newspaper publishing mogul mm-hmm. um, who actually had been influential in um, the Mexican Revolution. So uh, his dad, Jose Garcia Vilseca, um, was a colonel in the revolutionary military. Mm-hmm. Um, and people called him Colonel for the rest of his life, which I just think is adorable. Aww. Um, after the revolution, he started a small newspaper press with his brothers, and eventually he grew it into an absolute empire, and they were very wealthy. Um, mm-hmm. When he died in 1981, his family inherited the small fortune he'd amassed, but the atmosphere was really uncertain for his family. Mm-hmm. So Eduardo was warned more than once that his father's enemies would be waiting for him and that his life would be in danger. So um, maybe listen to people. Next well, time. he did actually, he fled to Potomac, Maryland and he lived there for 22 years. 
Um, so he um, he tried to live in his hometown, like in Mexico City, for mm-hmm. a while, but he ne- realized that he needed bodyguards and machine guns and like bulletproof glass, and he just didn't want to raise a family in that, so he moved to America. Okay. Um, so when by the time that Jane and Eduardo met, his twenty-two year, year marriage was crumbling, and even his son was encouraging him to start dating again. Um, there was a quote in the book that was like, "Go get drunk and get laid. You need something." Was something his sixteen-year-old son told him, which is bad when your kid calls you on it. So he was already divorced, or he they were still married. They were still married, but it was right. They were about to have their final hearing for their divorce. Okay, so they so, had already filed. I meant, had they filed for yeah, divorce? They'd I, filed, I, and they were separated. Okay. I can't speak. It's fine. It's okay. You only have a <laughs> podcast where people have to no, listen to you. Exactly. Um, Jane and Eduardo fell quickly in love, and yeah. they had this whirlwind romance that lasted through long-distance phone calls because he was traveling back and forth to uh, Mexico City. Um, he still had investment properties in Mexico City, so uh-huh. he would try to go there um, like surreptitiously. And take care of some business, and he'd spend a couple months there in hiding, kind of, and then come back to America. So he wasn't 100% living in the States. But it was a a much safer thing than living there full-time. Right, okay. Um, So um, Jane was working and going to school, but... So they met that March of 92. By July of that year... She moved to San Miguel de Allende in Mexico, and I actually wrote what state, but I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it after one and a half drinks. <laughs> um, and they bought a house there, and it's this beautiful place. But they uh-huh. married two years later when she found out they were expecting their first child. Um, and so they had, by this point, begun an empire of their own, flipping houses in San Miguel de Allende. Um, which is described as, quote, a city full of artists who like to drink, or maybe it's drunks who like to paint. In either case, that's my new hometown. Dude, let's move <laughs> Right? I don't even really like to paint that much, but I can make it work. Right? Listen, I, Wait, I like to paint. I'm just not good at it. So You don't have I to be good. I've seen, I've seen Rothko. He hangs in galleries all over the world for millions of dollars, and his stuff looks like <laughs> shit. Um. Anyway, so um, they used the money that they'd gotten from, like, flipping these homes and making them nice to buy a 1,000-acre farm. Cool. Um, And they turned into, like, a family compound. They built homes for Cielo and Aurora and their families there. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jane lovingly claims them as her children, which is really so sweet. Like... That is... Like, they just accepted her as family, and that whole family unit was really beautiful. That's lovely. Um, So, they... It took basically all the money they had to fix this house up, so it's not like they were wealthy at all. Okay. Um, But she used the farmland to grow organic crops, and she tended a cactus garden, and um, he rode horses every day, and they lived, Mm -hmm. like, this kind of dream life. I kind of want a cactus garden. I feel like I wouldn't have to do a lot to keep it alive. Right? Um, Be the one plant that I cannot kill. They also built a Waldorf school, which is a progressive school that emphasizes art and nature. 
Um, Yeah, they built that on the edge of their property and they kind of became local celebrities. They were beloved by all. They were invited to all their parties. Mm -hmm. And uh, San Miguel de Allende was a place for expats to go who were leaving uh, America. And um, there was this kind of distinct difference between the natives, like the locals and the expats who were moving there. Mm -hmm. And somehow Jane and Eduardo were able to be friends with both. And they're like the bridge between the two cultures. That's nice. I always have a dream of maybe not permanently being an expat, but living as one for a year or two. Right. Yeah. I think it'd be really cool. Um, Doing like an eat, pray, love kind of thing. Right. Yeah. With more eating and less praying. Yeah. On my end, at least. (laughs) More eating, way more loving and way less praying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway. So um, on the morning of June 13th, 2007, Jane and Eduardo dropped their children off at the school that was on their compound. Like the Waldorf score was on the very edge of their property. So these people were already on their property? Yeah. That is terrifying. Yeah. They were returning home when they were ambushed on the road to their house. You mentioned a guy that nobody noticed um, Mm -hmm. in the station wagon. So she noticed him when they pulled up to drop their kids off. But what she said Mm -hmm. was, um, because it was June, it was the end of the semester. And that's when new families were coming to register their kids for school. Oh, sure. So Uh she thought he was a dad who was about to go in and register or had just come out from registering for next school year. Sure. So that makes more sense. um, She said, hindsight, she saw all of these signs that she should have noticed, but that was the one that she noticed. And she was like, okay, he's a dad. Like, well, it's like red flag, red flag. But you, you're also like, I'm on my own turf. I'm basically on my own property. Like this would never happen, right? Right. Now. Like I'm gonna ignore all these red flags because I'm being ridiculous, right? Exactly. Um. <laughs> so on June 13th, 2007, they dropped their children off and they were returning home when they were ambushed on the road to the home. And um, she details it very graphically in her book. We have your husband, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into that much detail. A, it's yeah, not- I read an article about the movie and they started, I think probably what you're going to talk With about the first but, chapter, uh-huh. but I, well, they, they quote it like in the article about the movie, but I skipped over it cause I knew you would probably talk about it. So, yeah. So, um, I'm just going to stick to the broader facts because I really did cry the whole time I read this book yesterday. Please, it's so sad. Um, so driving home an SUV and f- oh this is her quote because I mm-hmm. didn't put the quotes <laughs> oh and you know what okay I would just mistyped <laughs> driving home that day an SUV stopped in front of them suddenly and screeched to a halt um, causing them to slam into the back of it and then immediately after another car crashed into them from behind two men jumped out of the SUV with clubs hammers and guns Oh, my God. They smashed in the windows of the Valsicus cars and dragged them out of their seats. They pistol-whipped Eduardo and Jane. uh, And Jane used that as a distraction to try to run. Uh Um, She made it to the barbed wire fence and grabbed onto it. And they... uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So they they grabbed her and pulled her off and it cut her finger to the bone. Uh Uh-huh. I'm just going to sit on my hands for the rest of this episode. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Um, just to remind myself that they are there and they are not injured. They um, Then they held a gun between her eyes and she no. begged for mercy and said, please, I'm a mother. I have children. You cannot kill me. 
please. Oh, God. So the attackers then put pillowcases over Jane and Eduardo's heads and threw them into the back of a car. The car stopped eventually and Eduardo was put into a different car. So Jane used the like turmoil of them throwing Eduardo into the new car to pull the pillowcase off her head enough that it looked like she still had it on, but that she could see. Mm-hmm. And she was able to read the license plate before the car sped away. So wow, she till the like she gave interviews up until like two thousand nine or later, and she still talks about like the license plate number was this, and it like it's in the book. I imagine but, that's one of those things that you that you, see and you never forget, right? So she made sure she remembered it. Um, she's a badass is what I'm telling she you. She is incredible. I, I kind of want to read the book cause I really like her. She's I, cool. I'll see if I can Kindle share it with you. Cool. Thanks. Um, so, <laughs> um, in her book, she comments that she had won a sack race when she was in the third grade, but she never expected that skill to be the reason that she like survived. But so her feet were bound together and she hopped her way to the street where she hopped in front of a bus and made it stop. Oh, um, and then she begged them to use their radio to call the police. And then I wrote insert rant about corrupt Mexican police here. <laughs> <laughs> but we've, I mean, we've talked we've about it. Kind of talked about it. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing: like, I'm sure not all, and I, no, I'm not sure. I know, like, not all the police in Mexico are corrupt. Not all the federales in Mexico are corrupt. But it's it's one of those things that is. Ster- I know people personally that have paid off federales in Mexico. Yeah. I do too, actually. It's a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, Regularly. I have a friend who was offered cocaine for sale by a federale. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure what word I just said because that was like, yeah, and yikes mixed together. And I stand by it. But whatever that reaction is, is the appropriate one. You're welcome. So, um, when the cops arrived, she brought them back to the scene where she had been left and, um, they found a note in the dirt that she'd missed that was addressed to Senora Jane. And she mentioned that it was chilling because her name is hard to spell because it doesn't follow the norms of the Spanish language. She even mentions that, um, if people read her name, they pronounce it Jaime because yeah. of the way the Spanish language works yeah. and that people who could say her name would never spell it correctly mm-hmm. because they could come up with the Americanized spelling. It's throwing that Y in that threw everybody off. It threw everybody off. Yeah. So she's a Y like is either like basically well, silent or it is like ye, like E, like the E sound. Or it combines with the A to make like an AI sound like hi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, she said that for someone to have spelled her name correctly on a letter like this meant that they had been stalked, watched, researched, targeted, and that this whole thing was premeditated. Yeah. Um, and the note said, Senora Jane, we have your husband. Go home and open the following email address with the following password. And then it had the details for a Yahoo email address that she had to access. Yahoo? Yep. This is a terrible organization. <laughs> when was this? Um, two thousand seven. So Gmail was a thing. Get yourself a Gmail, like a legitimate organization. No, like actually, us. let me think. Gmail in two thousand seven, you had to be invited to. I had a Gmail in two thousand seven. 
Oh, I'm sorry. They they're running a, a like a ring where they're kidnapping people for millions of dollars. They can't get an invite to Gmail, right? <laughs> they ain't got no friends. That's why they're kidnapping people. <laughs> so at the crime scene, they also found a hammer, which was actually a signal for the Popular Revolutionary Army, which was a guerrilla group that they believed that they were Robin Hood. So God. they um. Every man thinks he's Robin Hood or Peter Pan. (laughs) I'll take Peter Pan. Fucking can't. Okay. Um, So the hammer was a, oh, they claim to seek um, justice for peasants. That was the platform they stand on. With a hammer? Well, the hammer was a warning to the corrupt police who were being paid off that they shouldn't investigate it because that's who was involved. So if the police showed up and found a hammer on the crime scene, then that was the people who were being paid off's way to know to leave it alone. Here's an idea. Don't take money from criminals and do your fucking job. Amen. God, I hate it. Okay. Um, So Eduardo and Jane had been targeted because of their supposed wealth. Because like I said, he was the son of this rich newspaper investor and they had all these properties they'd flipped. Um, so the kidnappers assumed that they were very wealthy, but as Jane said, they were comfortable, but they were by no means wealthy. Right. She called kidnapping experts who told her that she had to leave it to the Mexican federal police, but they wouldn't explain why, just like in the movie. And then she called the FBI, who told her that they were powerless unless Mexico requested their help. So, because... If it had been her, the FBI could get involved. She was an American citizen, you know? Right. Um, so then she called the... Um, it's the Federal Agency of Investigation. And um, what's it? AFI? The, uh, they call it AFI, so AFI. Yeah, it's the Agencia Federal yeah. de Investigacion. It's the way that they put the... They flip-flop the, the Senate structure right. like, than we do here. Yeah. right. So, like, if it... They put adjectives at the end. Right. If the FBI was, you know, down there, it would be the Bureau of Federal Investigation. Right. Um, so, uh, blah, 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 do-do-do-do, where was I? Oh, um, so they promptly sent an undercover agent to live in her home, and he really did come in on a bus in just, like, street clothes with a bag slung on his shoulder. Was he super hot? I don't know that answer, so let's say yes. I'm on board. Um, So then she realized she had to explain to her children. She had three children. Um, They were 12, 7, and 6 years old. That their father had been kidnapped. And the older kid knew what that meant, but the younger Mm -hmm. two didn't quite understand. So she explained that um, bad men sometimes steal daddies for money. So Emiliano I she explained it to her daughter in the movie too. Emiliano the daughter was like, Wait, dad Badman can just come take my daddy? Like that yeah. was really sad. Yeah. So uh Emiliano, the middle child, ran to his bedroom right then and came back with his piggy bank to try to help. Oh sweet baby. <laughs> I know. Oh. Um so five days pass before she gets her first email to this Yahoo account. The Yahoo from the Yahoos. Do better. <laughs> if I got an email from a Yahoo account, I'd just be like, delete. <laughs> right? I don't know. My uh, CPA still has an AOL email address, and I laugh. 
My dad still has a name. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so um, the email said, we hope that the miss got home okay. To free Eduardo, we demand an amount of $8 million U.S. dollars. Then the email instructed her to agree to the ransom by placing an ad in the classifieds um, in the Universal newspaper is what the book said. Or Mm -hmm. the Marie Claire, maybe that was from the Marie Claire article. Um, Anyway, and her response was to be rewarded in the following. Wanted. Chow Chow Puppy. Vaccinated with full pedigree. 8,000 pesos. So the Austin was the only thing that they added for lifetime. So I just want to like, I just Google this. Uh huh. And I just want to explain, hopefully, eight million U.S. dollars is one hundred fifty-two million eight hundred thirty thousand two hundred and forty pesos. You did all that math on your own? No, I googled it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's that's, that's just being unreasonable. I'm sorry, like God. Um, these kidnappers are terrible. <laughs> They're so, really bad at their job. I just want to say that she was told not to respond via email because the kidnappers wanted to make it hard for the authorities to trace their locale. Mm-hmm. Um, she, oh, what to the internet cafe in Mexico City where they all hang out? Right. God. Um, she instead read an ad that said the chow chow is beyond my realistic economic possibilities. Mm-hmm. When she couldn't come up with the money, the captors beat and kicked Eduardo and forced him to write a letter about it. Then they scanned his letter, which was bloodstained, and sent it to her through email. Right. In it, he described being tortured, starved, and held hostage in a cramped wooden box with built-in speakers that blared music non-stop to keep him awake. Oh, no. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but sleep deprivation is like the first way to control somebody's mind. Oh, 100%. I, um, I, when I was going through some shit, I had a period of time where I didn't sleep more than an hour or two a night. And after two weeks, I was going out of my mind and I went to the doctor and she was like, yeah, no shit. You're going out of your mind. Like you can get, she's like, you can die from this, from not sleeping. Yeah. So they gave me some heavy duty sedatives and sent me home. Right. And I slept for like three days and it was great. <laughs> so, so she started receiving weekly emails with threats or pleading letters from Eduardo. And each time she finally took to not reading the letters, she would, um, the, uh, Federale who was living at her house for the mm-hmm. time, would show her the letter long enough for her to confirm whether or not it was Eduardo's handwriting. Mm-hmm. And then he would read the letters so that she wouldn't be subjected to all that. That's terrible. And actually, um, they, this that goes way deeper than how the movie did. Because for a while, she was just getting the emails like with the when the big things were happening um, from them. She got the one letter handwritten by him. And then she got the photos from when he was shot. And then when she went rogue, Raul the federale was like this is going to get so much worse but she was like i'm prepared and she read every single thing that they sent her wow yeah um so um each time she'd respond with the classifieds with the amount that she was capable of paying um the detective warned her that she may be in this for a long time he said the last particular the last um sorry that this 
kid, group of kidnappers were kind of long haul kind of people, mm-hmm. and that the last victim they'd taken had been held for twenty two months. Oh my god! You know, this reminds me. I don't know if you remember um, one of the first times we started talking about movies we'd like to or stories we'd like to be turned into lifetime movies. I mentioned uh, the Amanda Linhout story. Uh-huh. Um, I just finally read that book. It was incredible. And this reminds me a lot of that story, only it was a lot worse. Yeah. But yeah, it was it's very similar, but the story was magnificent. I loved it. I you should read the book. I will. I borrowed it from the library, so okay. <laughs> I can't share it with you. <laughs> um, so then um this is a direct quote from her Marie Claire. She said, I started doing things that I did back when life was normal, celebrating family birthdays, taking belly dancing lessons. One day I was so cute. (laughs) One day I was driving with my daughter and noticed someone following us home on a dirt bike. Then at a shopping center, I spotted a man with a mustache dressed in khaki camping gear, just like the kidnappers. He stared at me and I stared right back. Yes, ma'am. She says they were watching me. I started coming up with ways to unnerve them to make them think they were losing their hold on me. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, this is... I love that. She said, um, what if they thought I was giving up, taking the kids and moving back to the U.S.? So I moved boxes and bubble-wrapped furniture into a warehouse on our property, doors open for all to see. Maybe they'd think their plan had backfired and they'd end up with nothing. Maybe they'd have to take what I had. Mm -hmm. So... um, Eduardo's letters grew more intense, saying that he was not being taken out of the box at all, and he was having to use a bucket as a bathroom. And four months into the kidnapping, he began receiving scheduled twice-daily beatings. Uh Uh-huh. In month five, he was shot in the leg at close range. No! And then ten days later, shot in the arm. No! The kidnappers sent her photos of the bullet holes in his body to the email. And then she received a phone call. And this is the first time she'd gotten a phone call. Um, She didn't get a phone call in the movie. So she said, I knew from Eduardo's notes that he'd been told I was doing nothing to get him back. When he talked to me on the phone, his words were chilling. How is it possible that this is all you've done? He asked, you're going to let them kill me so you can keep my money. You're such a bitch. Oof. Still, he sounded unconvincing, like a machine, and I knew that the words were scripted. Mm-hmm. I replied, I love you with all my heart, and we both started to cry, and he said he loved me just as the line went dead. Oh, that's terrible. Finally, after, finally on January 4, seven months after Eduardo had been taken, the kidnapper said they wanted to exchange for him the money I'd offered. Finally! So Jane received um, proof of life photographs that her husband was still alive. Um, It was a picture of him holding a recent newspaper um, Mm -hmm. with the date visible. And she said that he was so thin and looked so old that she had to stare at it for 15 minutes to really determine if that was him or not. Oh, no. Um, Per the kidnapper's instructions, she sent two of her ranch employees to a hotel in Mexico City with a bag full of $100 bills. They went they went to a public payphone that had a note attached, which led them on a scavenger hunt of other payphones. The worst scavenger hunt ever. Yes. 
Let's see. Da, da, da. They finally went to an alley where they were supposed to trade the money for Eduardo, but Eduardo was not there, and the kidnappers took the money and one of the ranch hands instead. Dude! I couldn't no. believe Lifetime left that out. Why are you so greedy? The next day, I didn't mean to laugh at that, but it wouldn't stop. <laughs> the next day, Jane received an email that they were holding the rancher hostage, but they set Eduardo free so he could go get the full $8 million they wanted in exchange. What? Yep. They need to let this $8 million go. Right. Go play the Powerball. You've got a better chance. For real. The next day, January 24th, 2008, Eduardo returned he weighed less than a hundred pounds and he looked like a ghost. Um, he just like walked up the driveway to their house. So the captors had dumped him in a cemetery at four o'clock in the morning and he had to force himself to walk for the first time in seven months. His, oh my God. His captors always thoughtful, so kind, gave him a little lunch kit with an apple and a hard boiled egg in it and money for a bus ride home. Oh, they're so sweet. I just want to point out also, I think she ended up giving them, what, $600,000, right? Uh, actually, everything said an undisclosed amount, so we don't actually know how much it was. We'll say 600000 That's what it was in the movie. That's still 11 million pesos, so maybe why don't you take that and walk away, dude? Right? God, forget uh, your $8 million. Mm, I hate it. So, um, he said that he tried to stop cars while he was walking so they could give him a ride home. But the way he was stumbling and as disheveled and messed up as he looked, everyone just assumed he was drunk. And so they wouldn't even pull over for him. I, mean, I can't really. No, I get them. it. I wouldn't have either. So he I t- like to think of myself as a nice person, but then I hear stories like this and I'm like, no, I wouldn't have stopped. Not at all. Not, I wouldn't have even thought about it. So he took the bus home. Um, Soon after, like, she put him immediately and their fa- family immediately in therapy. So she's on it. Good on you. Yeah. Um, she's going to need that talk space. That's for sure. She also, right. She also said that she didn't tell the kids. He came home and the first thing he said to her was something like, I missed you and your banana pancakes. So she immediately whipped him up some of her famous Aww. banana pancakes the banana pancake and um she spent some time with him before telling the kids that he was home and she had him go dress in some clean clothes and his favorite cowboy hat so he'd look a little bit like himself and when she went to go get the kids that she had to warn them that he didn't look like their daddy anymore but he would come back and she said they hugged him with the gentle touch that children give elderly not the touch that they give parents that's so sad. I it reminds me though when I my dad has always had a full beard and mustache, like full. Uh-huh. And when I was younger, he shaved it one day, and I didn't recognize him. He picked me up fr- from somewhere, and I cried like because I thought <laughs> it was just a stranger. <laughs> so I can't. Ima- that's so sad. So um, the Mexican authorities strongly suggested that they leave the country. Also, like, why did they not go directly to the hospital? Right. So less than a month later, that's exactly what they did. And then they never returned to Mexico ever again. I can't blame them. And it's sad because they really loved living there. It seems like, and that's really sad. The kidnappers released the ranch hand after two and a half months in captivity. Well, thank you for Uh, free. Yeah. They just Uh, did that to be assholes. And I don't, 
care for it at all. So four and a half years later, Jane died of complications related to breast cancer on May 3rd, 2012. Oh, honey. Um, the opening of her book is about her diagnosis of breast cancer. She um, she says that she should have known something was wrong when her daughter stopped nursing on one side, that she just wouldn't take milk from that side at all. And they had a baby after. No, so she they started to find the breast cancer, or like it didn't pop up until later. Oh, but, okay. So their youngest, who was six at the time, stopped nursing when she was a baby. Oh, okay, which okay. she said she should have known something was wrong, but imaging technology was so bad then that they didn't catch it until. She was like, until it was too late, basically. Um, So um, she was 45 years old when she died. Um, Her husband and her whole family, including her mom, all survived her. Um, And at the time of her death, nobody had been arrested in connection to the kidnapping and likely never will. That's terrible. Um, So thanks for picking a real winner. I didn't pick this. We used a random number generator, so blame I'm the blaming number. you. We're about to use a random number generator to pick some more of these movies, so okay, get ready. You don't need to blame me for everything. You I have to blame someone, and I can't be at fault. We'll blame Lifetime. Okay. Pick a more salacious case. Let's do something crazy. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's pick this back up. Did you see any um, real cases you'd like to be turned into a Lifetime movie this week? Um, because everything sucks and I cried so hard, what I want is a Lifetime movie about Jane Rager before she met Eduardo. I want them to show her life leading up to that time and all the cool things that she did. Sweet. Okay. So... I'm going to go a different route. (laughs) I needed a happy. (laughs) Actually, this is actually really hysterical, kind of. So Tuesday, my friend Luke, who we've talked about on this podcast before. Hey, Luke. And I actually uh, checked with him and I was like, do I, I know you go by John now. I remember you as Luke. Like, what do I call you? He was like, stop being weird. Just call me Luke. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my friend Luke texted me on Tuesday and was like, hey, did you know that Venus flytraps are indigenous to only North and South Carolina? Really? Yes. And I said, actually, yes, I did know that because I had listened to a podcast episode. Um, I can't remember what podcast it was. It may have been Generation Y. It may have been Criminal. It was one of those that does like a short every week. Right. Um, about the like black market of Venus flytraps, which is a thing. Why? They're so like sought after. Can't you as, just like, get them kitchen? at any like store? No. Oh, I feel like I could growing up. Mm-mm. We could buy them at Walmart growing up. No, well, the HEB sometimes has them, but they have like very limited supply. So they go for a lot of money because they are only indigenous to this area. Okay. And so they get stolen and, um, there's a whole like huge like black market thing going with these. And so he told me that there was a recently or just this week, there was a man in South Carolina who was indicted on 72 counts of like fraud related to this, these like Venus fly traps. I want the fly trap movie. I do too. Can I want we, it. I want it to be called 
fly trap money pit. <laughs> I want this movie like I've never wanted anything in my whole life. Lifetime, are you listening? I know you I are. I want it so bad. <laughs> Please make the Venus fly trap movie. We had to watch this movie and cry over it. So you owe us a happy. <laughs> oh my God. It's so ridiculous and I love it. Okay. So how many numbers do I have to pick from? So for April, please choose. Let me count how many episodes we'll have. One, two, three, four. Numbers between one and 28. Pick four numbers between one and 28. Here's what I found on the web for pick four numbers between one and 28. That's, I didn't want you to do a web search, but the web search did bring up a list of numbers. So my numbers are 27, 12, 34, and 1. Okay, 34 is not between 1 and 28, so I'm going to need you to... <laughs> it's not. I didn't even know I was going to go. Okay, 9 is the next one between those numbers. 9 and 1? Yes. Okay. So this month, in the month of April... We will watch Perfect Sister. Okay. And I'm going in numerical order, not number order. So. Oh, okay. Because that's just how I have my list. I mean, I guess I'm, I can start over and go. No, in it's okay. Order. Perfect Sister. Um. You stop. Uh, the Craigslist Killer. Yes. yes. I'm excited about that one. I've been thinking about that case as I read a YA book this week. Oh, yeah? Where he posts a misconnection on Craigslist. And his mom was like, you're going to die. You are. <laughs> um, this one should also excite you. Manson's Lost Girls. Yes. I know you love the Colts. I love Colts. 27 is The Girl in the Bathtub. I don't like that already. And I actually am not sure. I just read this this last week because it was on Lifetime. So I'm not even sure the case that it's about. But apparently, I mean, not apparently, it is a real case. So, And though these are like, this is the order that we just said, that is not likely the order that will go in. So we will post the order for all of you to see on our Instagram, on our Twitter, on our blog. Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're really going to do a calendar. You guys, I promise. Every day we're getting better. It's just hard because we both have full-time jobs that take more than full-time hours. I know if somebody would just pay us all the money, then we could do this all the time. All 100% of the time just for you guys. Do an episode like every day. Um, <laughs> side note, we are still so overwhelmed with joy at the amount of downloads we have seen. We, I was this morning when we got we got a message from somebody. I'm not going to like name drop or anything. We right. got a message. And I literally had to leave my house because I had so much nervous energy. So I'm telling you every We've gotten fan mail, like everything you guys send us, every comment, we read it all. We screenshot like, it and send it back and forth with a whole bunch of emojis. 
Yeah, it's incredible. Like, this is just nuts, and I love every second of it. And we have gotten some questions about merch. That is something we've discussed. Mm -hmm. We are still a fledgling podcast and still babies, and we don't want to overdo it and make it look like we think better of ourselves than we are. So, yeah, we're shooting for, and also the summer is going to be a little bit of downtime for us. Well, maybe not you if you get a Fulbright, but we'll see. Um, It'll just be the last two weeks. Okay, so the summer will give us some downtime. So we're we're planning on doing a lot of work during the summer. So just hang it with us until then, and we're we're trying to kick off some stuff uh, starting in June. So yes, yep, (laughs) and we just we love you all. We do. We love you guys. Y'all are awesome. Um. So hey, thanks for potting with me today. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Sorry about the movie. This is an awful case, and I'll never forgive Lifetime. Okay. Or the human race. I think that's who I'm blaming today. Seriously. You know what? You don't need to kidnap anybody. You certainly don't need 150 million pesos. Nobody does. <laughs> that's just too many. Yeah. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> too many pesos. All right. Hey, don't forget to eat your vegetables and charge your phone. Yeah. And also follow us on the things um, at Lifetime Sentence at, on the Instagram at Life Sentence Pod on the Twitter machine. LifetimeSentencePod.com. And, and email can, us oh. at LifetimeSentencePodcast at gmail.com. I thought for a minute we were going to do this cute thing where we said the same things and then I screwed oh. it up. So no. <laughs> uh, you mess everything up, but it's okay. We're cute, but not that cute. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> All right. So we will check back in next week. I will talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.